0: All right, all right, all right. Welcome, audience. It is another episode of Mentioned in Dispatches. We have stayed on schedule thus far. We are up to episode five of season ten, and so far, we are still on schedule. And uh, and and James, I don't think you've been on here every season, but I think you've been on here at least every year since we started Mentioned in Dispatches, haven't you?
1: It does seem to happen somehow.
0: Yeah, yeah. Usually we bring you here in a professional capacity, and that's not the case tonight. We're just we're we're just war gamers having fun talking about war
1: games. Yeah, if anybody takes the uh, takes the, misapprehends the opinions tonight for a official position of the army, they will be mocked.
0: Yes, yes, quite uh quite ludicrously. Yeah, it's this is an army heavy episode of of the uh, of the podcast here because that's my background. That is also our buddy Brian's background. Welcome, Brian.
2: Hello, great to be back.
0: And an unexpected, there he is. Oh, Jim, we weren't sure if you were coming or not. We had we we've been recording for like 90 seconds at this point. So welcome.
3: Oh good good evening. Oh what a day. Hi, <laughs> hi, hello everyone. Hello.
0: All right. So with a full house here. Uh this is the first episode of season 10 in which the focus of the conversation is actually going more towards digital games rather than uh ra- rather than wandering off into the our, our you know well decorated board game cul-de-sacs. That said, we are still going to, you know, attempt something slightly intellectual here. This this one's actually all Brian's fault because when we were working up ideas for course the season 10 episodes, Brian tossed out what if we take a look at some of the developments of AI over the years in, in different war games And in the the primary focus there where you're dealing with AI, obviously, is in the digital world. Uh, we are going to take a look at some board game AI down the line. However, to start with, we're here to talk some digital wargaming AI. And, and so... Jim, I know you're going to instantly make fun of everybody cuz playing with an AI means you're you're probably gaming by yourself. Um
3: you're a loser. Yeah. <laughs> so,
0: but that said, you have a long experience with some of the JTS games, some of the other games over the years that that have an AI to them. So so we thought you would be able to chime in there. Plus, you are a a, a not a necessarily a big fan but you have followed for a long time the development of dr sidron's ai for the general staff war game that he's been perpetually working on for like a decade at this point so so those are some things that you know quite a bit about um brian you you said you had notes
2: oh of course well first off let's talk about uh general staff and uh the ai developments in that One of the uh, humorous things I I found out about that was he was supposed to release this, but then he didn't like the engine, so he talked to the people who made Grand Tactician, okay, the epic Civil War uh, game that's on PC, which has some of the worst AI I've I've ever seen. It's awful, so I just kind of this pipe dream of mine would be if they the two could actually get together and you know give the graphics from uh Grand Tactician uh, to uh Dr. what's his name Ezra or Ezra Sidron. Uh, there you go. Give give him the graphics and have him do the AI for Grand Tactician. I think it would be a match made in heaven.
0: Um that that might be possible. Um, Jim, before you take off talking to us a bunch about Sidron's AI, James, have have you had much experience or exposure to the general staff stuff that he's been working on?
1: Um, I have known Ezra Known, occasionally corresponded with Ezra Sidron off and on for probably the last 10, 11 years. Uh, met him once at a conference in probably 2011, 2012. And uh, I, I'm a Kickstarter backer for... General staff, and mostly I've sort of patiently waited to see if anything will come of it.
0: So, but other than that, have not noodled
1: around much under the hood at all. No, I have not. Quite all frankly, right. I. Don't have the time. Well,
0: there's always that. So not that not having the time has ever stopped our buddy Jim from finding a way to go poke around with stuff. Jim, you, you've you actually interviewed Dr. Sidron at least once, I think twice over the years, about the development of general staff, right? Correct. What's, uh, what's your impression of where, where the AI is trying to go with that and some of the things that he's done with it?
3: Well, I think you have to begin with the fact that his dissertation was on AI. He yeah, is yeah. bit and and for those of us who are of a certain age, Dr. Sidron is the guy who gave us the Universal Military Simulator a long time ago, which was ultimately, in in my judgment, an attempt to really do a computer AI, except he was trying to do it within the confines of a Commodore Amiga. <laughs> and you know, the, the horses just weren't there. And so the world has continued to expand, but to Brian's point, he has absolutely struggled to get this sucker out the door. Um, it's it he and part of it is the fact that he's not a one-man band. I think he is a two-person band, but it is you know he's he's shown a lot of things. he's shown a good deal of the work. Uh, and I will always be fascinated in watching his AI think. But right now, it isn't, in my judgment, yet a game as much as it is an artificial intelligence tech demo. And and it's a pretty cool one. I enjoy what I'm seeing. And frankly, I, I am... Grateful enough to him for UMS and UMS2, for those of us who have fond memories of that, that I'm more than happy to kick in the few bucks that I too did on the Kickstarter, but I, I don't honestly know that he's much closer to taking this AI, which, what does he call it? Mate, that's it. Machine analysis of tactical environments <laughs> and uh, and getting it to something that looks like a, a finished product. And here I think, again, to Brian's point, is you develop a great engine you develop a great ai but you still have to develop a ui and you have to develop a game yeah and i don't you know if you take chess right there are rules there's a board space there are pieces with various powers and you can tell the computer to assess those i have asked and not gotten a very clear answer dr sidron what is the game that is general staff and i don't sense that that's there yet
0: Yeah. yeah, And I think there are a lot of folks that have a great idea for the sandbox, but at a certain point, you still have to put the game behind it. And and so do you think perhaps it might have been a better option to attach the AI to some existing game and, and just simply improve that game to give the AI a workout, for lack of a better term?
3: Yeah. And this is and this is where, you know. I, I stop at the door of the shaman's hut and may not enter because I am not in the tribe. But at least in theory, that does sound like a better notion to me. I um, set, set of software, as you say, that I know much better, the John Tiller Now Wargaming Design Studios, um, the, the, those games, you know, the the AI has never been a priority. So the idea that you would have a series of game rules, enforceable game rules, which you do, and then apply at the back end some artificial intelligence choices you know that that that's awful seductive sounding to me how well does it work i have no idea but that's that certainly sounds like something you might want to do when you've got something purpose built
1: my dim understanding is that unfortunately that is in the category of things that sound much easier than they turn out to be
3: so i feared yeah there,
0: there are a great many things out there that sound very easy to people who want to say, ah, you know, no problem, just wire this up. And then when you actually have to make it happen, oh my God, this is hard. So I think we've all experienced that more than a few times in our lives.
2: And to be specific, his uh, AI is based on at the tactical, operational, one single battle level, it's not, uh, as far as I could tell right now, it's not capable of making strategic decisions, such as in a strategic war game where you have to build certain things and so forth. It is basically how to move from point A to point B at a tactical, operational level. That's what I've seen so far. you
3: well, got to start somewhere. Well, the cool thing that it does, and and this is where, again, watching the tech demo is fascinating to me is watching it evaluate options Mm -hmm. you know it it can show you it'll show you how it's thinking it'll flash things very very quickly it'll show it as it's evaluating terrain as it's evaluating routes he the the thing he was most recently working on was evaluating a schwerpunkt as it was understood by him and and trying to come up with those choices and let those units make those choices based on criteria so that's pretty cool you know that's that that's pretty cool but yeah we're it it's it's certainly not soup yet no and like you said
2: it it's doing all that stuff, but is it capable, will it ever be capable of doing something at a strategic level where, you know, uh, just off top of my head, uh, hearts of iron or something where you have to build so many planes and, you know, you have to make decisions like that. It, it's not even, it, it has nothing to do with that at this point, correct?
1: Right. Absolutely.
0: Well, they're not making planes in the age of gunpowder, so that's not really an issue there.
1: Well, yeah, also there's not, a, there's also a sort of an apples and oranges comparison going on because they were using the term AI to carry, cover a great variety of stuff. Back in the dawn of time on a Commodore 64 as a snotty-nosed teenager, I wrote quote-unquote AI to go into a fairly simplistic Starship combat game, strategy game that I made. And it was a cascading series of if-then statements and a couple die rolls, and it wasn't a lot of if-then statements. And to me, it was utterly freaking transparent because I knew what it was doing. But to other people playing against it, it was magical because they had no idea what's going on. And a lot of the time, the things that we're calling the AI in the game is not a particular is not ai in the sense of it's doing anything like learning or much in the way of analytics. it's working its way through a decision tree that's probably no more complex in a lot of cases than what you get in a pretty good bot for solo Uh, board game. But if it puts up a fight against the human and occasionally surprises the human, the human is happy. Whereas what Ezra Citrin's doing, or what Dave O'Connor has done with Panther, uh, the Command Ops series from Panther, is they're analyzing things from the get-go, and I hesitate to use the word actually thinking, but they are doing something a lot more close to actually thinking and planning and analyzing the situation in a way that is closer to the thing we really mean when we talk about AI.
3: This isn't intended as a quiz. Uh, This is a series this is a serious question. Isn't that just a more complex series of if-then statements that are weighted by variables?
1: Uh, arguably yes, because ultimately all of them can be run on a Turing capable, right? right? Any Turing capable device. But at some point I think the This is a very soft-edged argument. At some point, you go from here is the set piece heuristic that you will follow into something where we have simply told you this is how you will figure out what procedures you will follow, and you you go from there. I haven't watched... Uh, Ezra's AI work, but occasionally I, sometimes I've been a tester for Panther, and sometimes there's been a mode in which you could do more than the usual player to watch the AI work. And it's rather interesting, because you can sit there and say, oh, it's replanning. Oh, this forced it to plan, or this whatever on the battlefield triggered it to say, hey, I've got to rethink. And it sort of shuffles about and comes up with a new plan.
0: Uh-huh. I, I'm gonna say something that seems overly reductive, but I, I'm curious the reaction to it. Anyway, uh, Jim, if you're sitting down playing a, a board game with someone, or or even many of your Saturday night fights, as you're taking a look at what you're going to do over the next two to three to four turns, aren't you simply developing your own internal if-then statements?
3: I don't, and I'm gonna, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you that that I understand your question and I respect it but I don't because I cannot think that way. It's why I suck at chess. (laughs) (laughs) It's absolutely why I suck at chess. It's the whole notion of chess, which is of course the great between that and Go, I guess, are the gold standards of AI. Um, it, the whole notion is: if I do A, my opponent does B or C, then I have to plan for D. I get about six moves down ri- downstream, and I'm done. You well, know, that's more I, some I, people, yeah. Well, I, I guess you know it's and, and which is why my son is currently quite engaged in chess and he's good it's you talk about the machine learning i remember playing chess with him at a very very young age and you know slapping him around and you know doing this these days it don't go so good i'm watching the machine learn you know <laughs> um it's it's a bit more of a struggle but my only point is no, for me, I I cannot think that way. I know what you mean. I know that that's, but it has always been my understanding that all the early chess AIs were built around such a thing. You know, trying to evaluate options, weight them, give them values. Whereas Deep Blue and its successors did it in different ways. Things that, much to Doctor Stairs' point, get much much closer to the idea of learning you know, rather yeah, than be, you know. Which has me curious. Do you think in the future?
2: That AI will not be attached to the games themselves, but the games will attach themselves to an AI that's in the cloud that, that because it's just going to be too overwhelming to program everything. Thus,
0: Keep in the, mind, the cloud is just someone else's computer. right?
2: Exactly. <laughs> A much better computer, though.
0: <laughs> many times, yes. And, and, and many separate, times a shared, high-powered computer. But
2: and, and you don't have to program the AI into the game itself. The game will use the AI, you know, that is available out there.
3: See, I, it, here's the thing. And, and you, you raise an excellent question. I you know I work for a municipality. We have a search engine for our municipal code. We built it here. We have it also for our legislative tracking system. And when I was asked once about the quality of the legislative tracking, one of the programmers for it, uh, who happens to be Polish, said to me, Jim, we're not Google. (laughs) which which was his way of saying that particular quality of search heuristic was beyond their resources right you can buy it and that i guess is your point you can you can hook up to it you can hook up your searches to that but you're going to pay for it so is is there a model here where they develop an ai and can it be programmed that way I'll be presumptuous and say, it seems like there's a model for that. But the question is, can the games that we play ever afford to do that?
1: James, you were going to chime in there. Yeah. uh, So why is it that most of the games we play don't have that AI? There's a couple of reasons for that. And part of it is that people don't, for the most part, pay for good AI. They claim they do, and then they're not interested in it because good AI beats them.
0: <laughs> they, Yay.
1: It, well, unfortunately- No, I, 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 I think you're absolutely right. The number of games that really dive in all out on having- Truly, actually, good AI that can beat up on a player, even if it doesn't learn, is very small. And some of them make a splash for it, and most of them fail to make a splash, arguably because of it. And there's there's a couple problems with this. The first of which is people don't uh, people buy Civ not to be beaten up by the AI. They buy Civ to get an AI that will shadow box with them and lose at an increasingly high level, so they can feel better about having mastered their minimaxing or whatever. So if you're then going to make the next Civilization game, then how much effort should you put into your AI, because one, it's money on the coding, and two, less of an issue than it used to be, it's file size, but three, it is something that is overhead on the processor that it's got to run, as opposed to animating cute little settlers digging in a new house or a tank doing whatever it does or whatever it do So as you're making both your CPU and memory budget, and as you're making your money budget for programmers, you're probably not going to spend as much on AI unless you have deliberately decided to target a chunk of the population that's interested, and it's not an accident that most of the games that pride themselves on their AIs are not from the big publishers,
2: which brings me back again to you know they the the people making these games can't do the AI thus with the advancement the rapid advancements AI is making give it to somebody else that doesn't have to even be a programmer the, have the AI learn itself learn the game itself and go from there I mean even the uh, uh, Tiller games the uh, War Game Design Studio games they could use something like that you know their their AI is never supposed AI is never been great at all have a a, you know a chat GPT type ai don't forget we're talking the future here but the way the advancements are going i i can see this happening in in the not too uh, distant future give it to a, a ai to figure out you know Teach, learn how to play the game, and then you know attach that to the game somehow.
1: Yeah, the the somehow they're <laughs> somehow they're hand handwaves a lot of issues. It's not undoable. Well, you've basically you got to put I, a you got to put a API into the game that the AI can access. Whoever's making the AI has to have, or the guy who's making the game, has, the AI has to have an API the game can access. The AI has to be able to figure out enough about the game somehow to be able to make heads or tails of it, and be told this was a win or this was a lose. Uh, is this impossible? No, but I th- suspect we're going to find that often it comes back to budgeting.
3: But but can I go back to to the point made earlier? Now I'm I'm fascinated because I thought I had thought half that thought. I hadn't thought the other half, v- namely, if you could. Let's assume you could. Would publishers do it just for the privilege of having their customers get the smack knocked out of them?
0: Yep. Um, I wouldn't hold my breath. Yep.
3: Because because let's take let, let's work down the spectrum, okay? There is no universe. Uh, my son and I are playing a lot of Aliens Fireteam Elite <laughs> there which is actually very fun for a game I think we paid like 8 bucks for. But if that game got as smart as it might, I'm not playing that. <laughs> I'm not gonna get eaten by aliens every time I play. That doesn't sound like fun. well, don't forget there would be
2: an assumption that you could tell the AI what level you know of ability that you wanted to play at, just like you can do that with chess AI
3: sure, but then scooch over to our side of the fence and i'll i'll pick I'll pick a game that uh that I like a lot the tiller games the the Water right. Let's take Waterloo. would people play it if all of a sudden the AI could beat a human ninety nine times out of a hundred, or hell would, eighty times out of a hundred? I'm up for the challenge. I think that'd be pretty neat. So, myself, <laughs> I, yeah, but we carry a great strain of masochism. Are is is that is that going to is that going to sell? Well, let's see. There's four of us on this call. Is that going to sell five copies?
0: <laughs> well, so here here's what I will say to an extent. We don't know. And and James made the statement earlier that, you know, a lot of customers just want the AI to shadow box with them and then take a dive, and that's intuitively true, I think, but I would be curious to see actual market stats. Let me rephrase. I'd be curious to see recent actual market stats either from internal playtesting one way or the other that says, "Hey, you need to nerf back the AI. It's too, you know, it's too hard for us to ever actually win." Or you know some actual market research that says no, I don't want to get my ass kicked eight out of ten times. That 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 you know necessitates uh you know a less you know a less I AI you know and <laughs> an artificial semi intelligence you know and um and so you know James, I hear what you're saying. I'm I, I've seen references to that also in sort of popular magazines, whether they were you know popular science or Wired or whatever over the years, saying that, you know players don't want too good of an AI, that Panther Games AI is pretty damn good. And playing against it, it will still kick your ass on a reasonably occasional basis. But I don't know that
1: Dave necessarily nerfs that back too much, does he? I don't think Dave nerfs it back at all. Command Ops is one of the few that I would hold up and say... That that is put out and marketed in part on the strength of its AI. Yeah. So... And it's it's very good AI. It's some of the best that's out there. Uh, but for a variety of reasons, unfortunately, Command Ops does not sell well. Part of it, I think, is that if you're going to beat a scenario against the AI the first time you play it, you better pack a lunch and really think. Yeah. Because it's yeah. very good. Ah. Uh.
0: Ah! Look, I I will confess that, you know, there are many times where if I'm plugging into a digital game, I don't want to have to think too hard. I would like it to be a a click fest with a reasonable you know, rate of achievements coming through that maintains the dopamine hit that I continue to stay engaged with it and not, you know, invest too much brain sweat and getting my ass kicked. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to invest the brain sweat, I'd rather do it across the table from one of you guys, you know, in a tabletop game with the beer and the pretzels and the the banter and smack talk and whatever else going on. Um,
2: Well, that's why you like civilization.
0: Yes, that, that is now I've beat Civ on the highest level of difficulty that is out there. And I will say it is hard. Um, now one of the reasons but it doesn't get any
1: smarter is, as you play it and you move up the difficulty level. What it does is it instead steadily nerfs your production and enhances the AI. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's not that it gets any smarter, it's that it it puts
0: more constraints on you to have to more carefully manage what you're doing. I to an extent I I'm not sure Civ would be as attractive for me in the way that I play it in my life if it was a harder AI I had to
1: really think about trying to beat. But and equally to the point, Brant, if the only difficulty level available were the top one, would you ever get there? Um so this is this is
0: where I'm going to make the the argument for variable levels of AI in the whole thing because that top level I think has Real value. However, James, you're acquainted, you know, we're, we're all acquainted with the whole idea of crawl, walk, run. Mm-hmm. You, you got to learn somehow and, and you've got to know what right looks like at, you know, at crawling speed first before you have to try and make right happen happen against a much more competitive thinking AI.
1: So did you ever wind up playing any of the Galactic Civilizations games?
0: Uh, No because Space 4X is something that I just don't
1: dig. The reason I bring him up is that uh, the guy behind them whose name is blanking out on me at the moment uh, has put a lot of effort in trying to make sure that it is AI that does not cheat in the game and he is another one of the people who seems to put a lot of pride into having AI that's actually meaningful in the game and it's my impression, impression only, that the first one did well, the second one did okay, and the third one sort of became obscure.
2: I've played it, and the AI... I'm not sure which uh, version he's on at this point. I have played one of the versions before, and the AI was spectacular. Very difficult to beat. I played um, a
1: moderate amount of uh, version one and couldn't get past the easiest level. <laughs> well, yeah, and... and
0: you know, we, we mentioned earlier, sort of, where do the economics on this line up? And, and and truthfully, <laughs> this goes back to a conversation that that our our buddy Zabek had with uh, with a de- with a development house, uh, a, a well known development house for a well known publisher that had, by all accounts, a hit war game. Now, again, we're talking a hit war game. We're not talking Call of Duty kind of stuff here. You know, on a console that that you know grosses north of a billion dollars or anything. But I had the conversation that after three and a half, four years worth of development, that this thing was finally published. And about 18 months later, uh, you know, as, as sales kind of started to drop off some after the initial, oh, my God, hey, there's a new game. Hey, we're learning a new game. Hey, here's the first three or four DLCs we already had planned and programmed over the first, you know, nine, ten months, whatever. As sales slowly started to erode because the new shiny toy was out and the DLC started to dry out. They, they sort of ran the numbers and these guys had spent four and a half, five years of of secondhand work, right? This this wasn't their primary job. This was their second gig, their side hustle. And and they ended up netting for all of that time somewhere in the neighborhood of twenty eight $2,800 to, $2, to $3,000 each. It's not chump change, right? If I walk up to you with a $2,800 check, you're not going to tell me, no, 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 I'm good. You're still going to take it. But essentially, these guys had spent five years polishing up, you know, developing and polishing a very good war game that was a considered a hit by most folks in that digital war game space. And at the end of it all, they bought a very nice pottery barn coffee table. Like that's, that's what the, that's what the end check ended up being. So how much does that check upgrade you from a pottery barn coffee table to a pottery barn living room set? If you spend the, t- you know, all that extra time on the AI, I don't know, but does anybody know? So, well, let's know.
2: be clear. The game has to be good first. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, there there is that. There have been plenty of, of bad games out there that nobody sticks around long enough to find out whether or not the AI is any good. So see now, see
3: see, see now, I'm officially obsessed with James's comment. Um, I i this welcome. is yeah, this is um, it's it, it's Bradley Wardell, by the way. Um,
1: yes, there you go.
3: Who found Thank you? Who, the founder of Stardock as well, and and. But but here's to to me, you know, and it, it it goes back to this. Let let's stipulate that you've got a good game. And by the way, Brad Wardell specializes in AI development, so I, I guess there's that. To me, the best game I can remember playing in my area was Campaigns on the Danube. Campaigns on the Danube by Adenac Simulations. It's available still from Matrix. I think it runs in Windows 10, but it was known for having it, it an absolutely savage AI. And this is and that's why James's comment is sort of bringing me around to something else and that's why I guess I would put as the banner over this whole thing people have griped and I would use the harder word about this for 20 to 30 years about the AI in the tiller game but they have said they, that, that it's horrible okay that, that's absolutely horrible it cannot attack it cannot attack it just if you are expecting it to attack you you will be sitting there shooting at it like ducks on a pond okay it just doesn't do it. And people have complained about it for all these 30 years. And now my banner, I wanna put over all those forums I was on and websites I argued on. Heck, it probably goes all the way back to bulletin boards back in the day. Do you really want a good AI or are you just saying you do? Because now that it occurs to me now, admittedly, and by the way, this this game was released by David Heath back in 2004 when he when he still had uh, Matrix games. But Frank Hunter, who's gone on to other things, when he released this game, it was mind-blowing for those of us that love Napoleonics. It was the 1809 campaign. So that was like, how many other computer games was I going to get about that? That was catnip for you. That's, oh, yeah, baby. And this sucker was hard. And a lot of people didn't like it for that reason. This game even had the ability in 2004 to take the result, what you could do, you could play PBEM, and then when you had a battle, you could export the battle on a, on a simple text file to play it on your tabletop. So this yeah. was... This was crazy sexy. And it went nowhere.
0: Well, so <laughs> you, you asked the question about, do you really want a hard AI uh, as though it's, you know, it, it's a Boolean, right? I, it doesn't have to be a yes, no. Can I get a harder AI than I currently have? Can I get something that gives me more of a challenge, but I still get to beat it on occasion? Can, right. can I get somewhere between, you know, can, from crawl to walk to run, there's a lot of space in that walk area, right, in terms of how fast you're walking. Well, um, can I, I get something beyond a gingerly stroll and closer to a racewalk pace without it sprinting me into the ground.
2: Elaborating on what Jim was talking about, the uh, campaigns on the Danube game, uh, Frank Hunter, I believe it was, is that yep. who? Mm-hmm. He he went on later to do a World War I game, I believe, that I played. And the AI was was not overly difficult, but it put out a, you know, when you were playing it, it felt like you were playing somebody else not necessarily
3: a perfect AI. So, you know, there is a middle ground. But that middle ground, and, and this, this, I guess, leads me back all the way to the point. If you're designing games, if you're putting out games into the market, Where is that middle ground for each particular game? Because what we may want from that game is probably radically different from what everybody else, from what a lot of other people want.
1: I also am not sure, and I've been sort of pondering this in the background, with the way that more modern AIs work, how easily you can make it nerf itself. Because, and I know I've got a chess app on my phone, I can say my ELO is X. And it will supposedly sort of match that, and seems to. Uh, but the uh, what I'm not sure is the how of it. In simpler computer opponents in the older days, a lot of it was the degree of look-ahead or analysis that it was going to do. And basically, the less time you let it let it think, the dumber it got. Uh, I'm not sure how you I'm not sure how you nerf an AI that is learning without teaching it essentially in times and stopping it at a given point. And if it continues to learn as it executes, it plays against Jim and it learns, and then it plays against Boyer and it learns, and then it plays against me and then it learns. And when Brant plays, he can't, set the step back to say, well, forget all that stuff that you've learned. You know, fight as if you'd never met the three of us. I'm not yep. sure whether or not that's possible.
2: Well, it would seem that it would be able to learn, you know, based on how well it's doing, you know, as far as victory, it would be able to eventually, and like we're talking hypothetically in the future, it's going to be able to learn uh, how to make things easier as well. Instead of just improving, well, if I keep doing this, I keep winning. Well, maybe I shouldn't do this if I want to make it easier.
1: Hypothetically, yeah, I just... <laughs> With my limited knowledge of this, I'm trying to figure out how that would be possible, which admittedly means that I'm basically floating in a sea of "uh," these <laughs> I don't know enough about the process so- of coding these things. <laughs>
0: For the folks that don't know, like my day job, I'm a I'm a IT project manager. I've I've brought plenty of broader software designs to market, although not in the game space. I've I've been a PM on a couple of uh, professionally focused gaming projects, but but not ones that had an AI behind them. Ones that always had players plugged into all sides. But that said, many of these things are are simply baked into the initial design of the system you're you're trying to put in place. And so, James, for instance, the part where you're talking about the learning AI that that you know learns from its experiences and gets more difficult as you go. One of the things that can get baked into the requirements early on is I, I've got a toggle that toggles on and off. Is this a learning game for the AI, or is this just me wanting a click fest to? kind of mindlessly escape from from life while I've got you know a basketball game on in the background or something. That's that's an option. And so I could toggle that on and off. Do I want to toggle it, you know, over to the dumb AI and give it three levels of difficulty over there? Or do I want it to be a learning AI? There, there's a couple of different kinds of options that you could do for any of those things so long as you clearly define those system requirements up front and 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 understand the ways in which you access each of them so that the player knows which levers they're pulling when they set up the game itself none of those are insurmountable somebody just has to decide up front whether or not to do it so i don't know what your thoughts are on that well
3: i i guess i was i was taking it all the way back to the beginning of the sort of almost the beginning of the podcast i guess and say, why do we want AIs in game? Because, you know, I don't like them. I don't want them. Well, we don't all know. have the lackeys that you have, you know. To... <laughs> They're flunkies, thank you.
0: Yeah, we, we don't all have a cult following that stays up late on Saturday nights just to play in our our little, you know, play with our dolls on our digital, you know, tabletop. We play you
3: know. war games with action figures on maps. Thank you. <laughs> The, None uh, of those so,
0: figures are in action.
3: I have, uh, we, that's not true. We have animated figures. Don't be hurtful. We have some. I just don't use them very much. But <laughs> I, so, so the, the primary, so the answer to the question, I, I'm not being cute. I, I really do want to know, because what do I use an AI for? To teach me a game. I, mm-hmm. I use it to poke at it if it has, because as you know, I spend, you know, I just crossed 4,000 hours on Tabletop Simulator. Um, I, I spend most of my time on a space that has no AI. <laughs>
1: There are help he? groups for that, Jim.
3: i rich. <laughs> they keep calling and I keep hanging up. Um, well,
0: so Jim, Jim, I, I know a bunch of the guys that you game with. I am friends with a few of them. You are. I, I am questioning whether or not you say you are not playing with an AI because you're missing the A or because you're missing the I.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I'll get, it's, or, or why not both? Um <laughs> But uh no, in, in all seriousness, I mean, look. Yes, I have this great blessing of these friends that like to hang out, and we come up with. Frankly, we were talking about it. I could go five games a week, and we'd have something to play. So to me, it's not even a question. But if it's a, if the question is put sincerely for me, they're entirely about okay. Show me your game. Show me what it does. But I very quickly say, well, wait a minute. Why am I not playing this against a human being? So given that that is the case, I say again. So I'm to take the point that the reason we want artificial intelligence in our games is so that we have someone to play against, right? That's that's fair. For me yeah. for me yes, uh somebody to play against competently. Okay. Okay. Now that was my next point. So you would that you then find it deeply unsatisfying as an experience, and therefore judge the game deficient if it you play it and you're going Jesus, and the first time through you're you're taking it, you're 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 housing it pillar to
2: post. Well, it depends what the game is. If it's a tiller type game, then I'm not going to judge it too harshly because I believe those were meant for you know uh, player to player. But if a game specifically comes out and all you can play against is the AI, well, I'm going to judge it very harshly based on that criteria.
0: I think... think partly to Jim is what is it part of that evaluation is going to be what am I expecting to get out of this game am I playing the AI to learn the game am I playing the AI just to have some sort of foil for my grand schemes and I'm I'm expecting to succeed because I don't want to, have to think about it while I'm just doing this with three other things going on in my life or am, am I looking for a legitimate serious challenge that's going to try to kick my butt one of the other things that is a very real consideration that I I don't know comes through often enough in, in war game discussions. One of the reasons, and it's openly stated by many people, that folks like playing war games particularly non-hypothetical ones, right? Ones about battles that actually happened. It's an exploration of the history and wanting to learn more about those battles. So now you've added the constraint onto the AI that ideally it should behave in some sort of historically appropriate fashion. So using cavalry as it was used in the 17th and 18th centuries, rather than this 20th century notion of, of how cavalry works. That's that's another facet in all of this that we have to consider. So, I mean, what is it that I'm trying to do with that AI starts to become, you know, a trickier question.
3: Well, well, now, now again, though, I I, want to go back. So, we want an AI so that we can have an opponent, and we want it to be a good opponent. Do we stipulate to James's point that most people, most I won't say all, most people don't really want an AI that beats them? They want a they want a shadow box with this thing. And eventually beat the stuffing out of it. Yeah. I don't know about that. I I mean,
2: it, it's individual preference. I mean, for myself, if I could find an AI that trashed me in certain games, I'd find that quite entertaining. And I'd bang my head against the wall to try to figure out how to beat
3: it. And we're, all, we're begging the question, of course, that it's not cheating, what we would call cheating. Correct. Yeah.
1: And, and
0: I think part of this goes back to, you know, Brian said something earlier, like, I, I want a competent AI across the board. It, whether I'm going to beat it or not, it shouldn't do, you know, obviously dumb stuff. You mentioned the... AI in some of the Tiller games, it just won't attack. Like, at a certain point, it should attack. You know, one of the things that I have on my phone that's that's a bit of a time killer when I'm, like, stuck in line somewhere, that somebody had created an, an off-label and, and unauthorized uh, AI version of the Dominion card game, the, the deck builder, yeah. and and has expansions up through, like, the first six or seven expansions in there. And this is not the officially authorized app from Rio Grande or whoever, uh, um, this is something that actually came out before their authorized app, but has been maintained since then. You can go find it on GitHub or, you know, itch.io or wherever. And it's a free download. They can't charge for it because they don't want to be, you know, they, they don't want to run afoul of making money on anything. It's got an AI in it. And it's it, it's actually got about six different AIs in it because you can set different fake names for the, the other players. And they do play differently. But back to Brian's point of I want a competent AI, there are times where these things get sort of stuck in a logic loop and they do the exact same thing for 10 straight turns even though it's it's plainly a dumb move and and you wish that they had put some sort of escape from that logic loop built into the ai that says if this thing does the same thing at least three turns in a row then make it do something different just to force it to do something different that's an example of an ai that is plainly not competent you know there are times when you're playing and you can see the deck counts for the other players that that one of your opponents is down to three cards in the deck and they never add any cards to that 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 ai is not playing to win at that point instead of a four-player game, you got a three-player game and another one just shuffling cards. I, I want something with a baseline level of competence, even if it is something that I'm going to beat on a regular basis.
3: I know nothing about the state of play in the broader universe of AI and computer gaming. I just don't. So I put to the, I put to everybody here, because I don't know the answer, is competent, and let, let's assume for the simpler games, you know, stupid card games you know, stupid board games, stuff like that. We're not going to talk about actual board games and things like that. But at that lower level, are there good AIs available? Well, this brings, I have a list. (laughs)
2: <laughs> I have a list of what I think are uh, some of the better a i s in war games p c war games and I have a list of what i some of the games that we were taught to that don't have very good a i well
3: and, and and i I definitely want to ask that same question about those, but I guess I wanted to ask downrange because you know you talk about a game you know very basic deck builder like dominion is, is it an assumption? i guess what i'm saying is should we have an assumption now that we're at a point in the market? where if you've got a simple game, you should have a good AI, period, no question. I believe Uh, so.
1: Regardless of whether it's simple or not, even something like Dominion, and even, that sounds very condescending. Dominion.
3: I'm going to condescend all over the place, so I'll be worse than you. I'll be worse than you.
1: Fair enough. But Dominion, to my eye, is a game that begs to be mini-maxed, right? Yes. It is It is asking for some kind of fairly fairly solid statistical analysis, which will tell you what the best moves are going to be, tells you what the strategies are, and off you run. And the uncertainty comes from what comes into your hand out of the deck as you build the deck up, and that's controlled by what you put into the deck in the first place. So in principle, other things being equal, there is no reason that a Dominion game should not have a competent AI. However, developing an ai takes work and in the end the currency of development is how much effort you're willing to put against a given task if well, the that's... person who was doing the the game that brett was bringing up is saying well i just want to be able to move cards against something and it does, the person who's making it doesn't care that it gets into the loop and does the same thing 10 times in a row and guess what doesn't happen
2: well what i don't think you're taking into account though is the ai programming itself at this point
1: i I actually i think i am because if you're going to build your own ai that's development of one kind if you're going to patch into somebody else's ai that is a development tie to make sure you can patch into it b you've got to do the oversight to make sure that whatever it's learning is actually relevant and c there are i assume i can't imagine that you're going to be able to do a commercial project using a online ai of any stripe without paying somebody for the computing time correct one way or another how many resources you want to throw at
2: it well you keep saying that they're going to have, the people are going to be the ones programming that, you know, not necessarily in the future. Matter of fact, AI is putting a lot of programmers out of jobs right now.
1: Uh, Yes, but there's still somebody who has to Validate whatever the AI wrote into the code. Yeah, so Brian,
0: to to an extent, that might be true for very low level rote sort of foundational pieces of code that are needing that are needed. But there's a certain point, as James had said, that you need a knowledgeable editor to go back and make sure that the complicated stuff actually works the way it's supposed to. the The example that I will give you is in the medical transcription business right we all you know over the years we saw doctors like dictating something into a tape recorder that 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 are all the different patient reports well somebody had to actually take that tape recorder and listen to it and type out what the doctor's saying so that they've got a transcription of that to stick into their chart. Well, you would think voice recognition could take over the bulk of that task for people. Um, You've seen how bad voice recognition can be with just regular language. Imagine what it's like once you start introducing medical terminology. And so much of the medical transcription can be automated in that doctors are able to dictate uh, and and have transcription come through with most of it. However, there are still editors needed to go back and listen to the tape while reading along and make corrections as needed. They're not having to type out the words patient and left and right and arm and leg. They don't have to type those out, but they've still got to make sure that the medical terms are the appropriate medical terms and that that you know the, the, the more complicated Latin-based language is, is accurate. Very similar things thing with AI written software versus human written software, the really basic stuff that says draw four squares on the screen and make one, you know, make them each a different color and then style them with this CSS to make them all appear as buttons. Yeah, the AI can automate that kind of stuff. But can the AI automate the more complicated if then logic of things? Can the AI automate the the conditional statements where the state may change depending on what size screen you're looking at it those are things where you still need a human in the loop for developing them
2: oh no doubt you're going to always have humans in the loop as far as checking and so forth but you know we're just talking about ai where it's at now i to where it's going to be in just 5 years it makes my head spin seeing what it can do right now it can make me my own tiki drinks Brant. i it can make give me uh tiki drink
3: recipes that's impressive so 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 we yeah. then we then with these simple games assuming there's a level of effort assuming there's a level of commitment you want to have an ai for these these base level games assuming you're going to put on an app or something like that we presume we're going to get an AI of some level of competence. The next question up becomes: Is there the mark? You know, because for example, I have absolutely no doubt that the entire total war. This is this is why James's comment was so re- revelatory to me that's exactly the reason that the total war series is the way it is well it, it, it's it's, total, it's how total war is built 100 percent around the premise of oh you're going to get super armies and you're going to smash and you're going to be this giant leader guy and if you want to challenge we're just going to start stealing your guys and you know making your insurrection levels much higher and we're not the computers i not any quote-unquote smarter we're just going to cheat like crazy it's kind of like playing dominion where the computer ai gets to look into the deck
2: well i would say you know based on playing the total war games you know the more recent ones such as the warhammer 3 mortal empires campaign and uh rome 2 with the uh divide at impera uh modification the ai is actually strikingly pretty decent and it's not just because it's buffing it it actually is doing things like supporting you know one of the big traps uh, the AI would get itself into in the past in the Warhammer games, it would send single armies down. And basically, easy way to defeat them was that you would use two armies to defeat their one. Now it's got to the point where it's it's not just usually going to send down one army. It's going to send down a supporting army as well. So it, it's, uh, it's a lot better than what it used to be. If you would have uh, six, seven, eight years ago... Playing Warhammer games, or excuse me, Total
3: War games, I would have agreed 100 with you. So, so, but you know, in Total War, obviously, I, they've never cared much about AI. I still don't think they care about AI. Ah, uh. Let's talk about the stuff that matters, which is war games. Um, it's you're not considering Total War a war game, absolutely.
1: Jim has some weird opinions on what are oh, here
3: we go. Yeah, no,
2: we
0: are not gonna have an entire episode on what is a war game. No,
3: it's we're not talking board war games now, it's digital, it's a totally different topic. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's 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 totally different. I'm convinced. No, I, I i i loathe them with all my heart uh the fire of a thousand suns i'll I'll just say only with one sentence the first time i stretched a battalion from lahai sant to hugama i went oh i am so out of here uh the uh so but but no i'm talking about real war games
2: i mean i think
0: you can do that if you do them one rank deep and like double arm intervals Uh, yeah (laughs) i mean you could
2: do the same thing in tiller games with
3: enough skirmishers (laughs) Uh, the the t- oh, and and well i'm not sure that that's the problem you imagine it is <laughs> i why i don't i i you know t- no tiller games actually go the other way if you want to dive down that rabbit hole if they allow too much into a hex you know the the stacking is probably too high but that's a that's an outgrowth of the Levat system i blame them but talking about the war games that most of us i assume play i mean what what would what's the state of the art i mean i we've already i know we've already heard about uh i always get it wrong it's it's not command ops what is it
1: it is command ops
3: it is command ops okay i'm not crazy and the other one that i think everybody looks at is our very very good friends over at the you know at flashpoint games i mean those 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 two state of the art is that the stuff well
2: the flash
0: on target sims that do flash Uh, flashpoint campaigns
3: yeah yeah
2: i i have found games well i found their ai pretty very good uh but You know, I think we've discussed in the past some of the problems, such as the individual units, like a tank platoon firing on a uh, bunch of Jeeps instead of the tanks that are right in front of them, stuff like that. But the overall strategy, you know, that you're playing against a computer opponent is pretty darn good.
1: They've really upped its game over the last five ten years.
3: Oh, it's that. Oh, interesting. It's that recent, so it's between the two iterations of the game.
1: Uh it's not between. I wouldn't say it's between the two iterations. It's that I wasn't incredibly impressed by it in the, in effect, the simulation Canada edition. Maybe okay. I didn't know about what, enough what I was looking at, and it's not. I did not play the original SimCan edition. This is the one that they were releasing in the two thousands, early
3: 2000s. That's that's the one with the squares, right?
1: Yep. Uh, but increasingly things like the the Red Storm and Southern Campaign, Southern Front, whatever it is. Southern Storm. Uh, Southern Storm. There we go. Uh, it, It pulls out things that seem both sensible and surprising. Which, in effect, getting back to Jim's comment, is it's it's providing you with something like a human opponent, or trending towards it. Which is
0: really, I think, ultimately what we're looking for an AI to try to do. Right? We we've got the AI plugged into the game in lieu of a human opponent because we either can't find one or don't want to bother looking, and and that's why we want the AI to to be that that. <clears throat> That opponent for us because, unlike Jim, the rest of us don't all have a cult following willing to play at any time we want.
1: <laughs> so, should I be the one who confesses I don't have any friends, so I play with a computer instead?
3: <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that. Yes, 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 there is. Yes, on the contrary.
0: Well, I, I think there's a difference in the don't have any friends depending on which side of the line you fall on, James. Are you actively seeking friends and unable to find any? Or are you not even bothering to look for friends?
1: Those um, I, I, are two completely different problems to solve. I, I think if we were going to lean into the joke, then I would simply say that I gave up.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and let's not forget. Let's not forget. There's two different types of friends. There's friends that play war games, and there's friends that don't. And it's a lot easier to find friends that don't play war games.
0: Yeah, but are those really friends?
2: Thank
3: you. <laughs> <laughs> So That that was that 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 left to mind, I will say.
0: So at at that point, then, where we are, we are looking for an AI to replicate the friend on the other side of the screen, we we want something at 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 least a baseline level of competence. And it would be nice if on occasion there the, the, the AI surprises us a bit and does something a little off the beaten path and has that that 5% chance you know on the back end of doing something that is outside the the normal bounds of the expected programming that says you know this time I'm gonna do something that crap crazy just to do it. Right. I'm I'm gonna do the mass charge on the right wing instead of the left wing, even though I've got you know worse terrain or fewer troops or whatever. I'm gonna do that just to do something different and see what happens. And and there's times when having a, a human opponent on the other side, and, and Jim, we've occasionally seen this uh in, in some of the the evening games that, that i've managed to play there's been times when we said you know what i'm doing this cavalry charge just because i want a cavalry charge not because it made any sort of tactical or operational sense just because damn it the cavalry's on a hill there's stuff at the bottom of the hill i'm doing a cavalry charge
3: my son is sitting right here why would yes. you why would you talk past him
0: <laughs> and, and he's managed to kick my ass every single time i try. <laughs> and there's video evidence of this there is that said it's one of those things that whether it's the optimal move or not it's the fun move and so we do that because we can evaluate that as you know that's going to be fun so let's do it and and the ai doesn't necessarily have an appropriate way to evaluate the fun move and so you would need to have it occasionally do the wacky move you know that that you know the rolling a 20 on a d20 says all right let's do something crazy and and do something way outside the normal if then statements that's the kind of thing we would like to see from an ai right baseline level of competence occasional surprises ideally we get to win more often than not because it makes us feel better about ourselves but you know what if the ai kicks my ass every now and then all right fine i can reboot and start over here here So, you know, how do we get there from here? Eh? Like, I don't know enough about how AI is created to do that. As the business analyst in many of my software projects, my job is to describe the effects. It's your job to figure out how to make them happen. (laughs) That's why I have code guys to do that.
3: Now now I'm wondering, once again, I'm obsessed. This is James's fault. I'm going to be thinking about this a lot because You're welcome. is that is that what we want? Is that what we want? That you, look you've you, if if you've all hung out long enough around Saturday night fights, we've been doing it for 5 years, so you've had more than a chance to usually speak it. It is a very very rare thing and now this is feeding into this as well. It's a very very rare thing that the guys are playing savagely competitive. We just don't do it. It's it's half the time we're testing out a new rule set, half the time we just don't well, 3 quarters of the time we just don't care, whatever. It, do we you know, but if we really do sit down and have at each other and cheer, it's like got you, ha ha, got you. Is that is that what we want out of our AI, or do we want something we can ultimately beat up?
2: But once again, we're talking about hopefully something in the middle.
0: Yeah. So, so a couple of options. One it'd be nice if i get to make that choice right i, yep. I want to set the ai to either you know th- we've got a slider on there between sort of you know take a dive like a boxer on the mob payroll versus you know kick my ass like your life depends on it and and i can set the slider for how difficult i want the ai to play I what's think the line that-
3: what's the line from doom hurt me plenty yeah <laughs> <laughs>
0: I, I think there's that, and and that slider isn't going to be constant depending on what I'm trying to get out of the game on any given day. If I'm just trying to learn the rules, I don't want the game kicking my ass. I wanna I wanna learn the rules. I wanna learn how the mechanics all interact. And so, no, I don't want the AI to get in the way of that. If I if I want you know a moderate intellectual challenge, but still want to ultimately win because I you know again I'm, I'm mindlessly mouse clicking my way through an afternoon while I've got something else going on, then. Then I want something that's going to present a challenge, but ultimately let me win. If I, you know, actually want to have to think about stuff and and there's occasions where that's true for me, but that's probably more true for other people. Then, yeah, go ahead and max it out and, and kick my ass. And that's fine. You know, how
2: many games is there where the A.I. can kick our ass in war games? Not many.
3: I mean, they're out there, but let's be honest. Well, yeah, well that's okay. You sound like you had a list. I, I would say, would we not say? Would we not say that probably that list is command ops? I don't yeah. know about you, but that thing, that thing, that thing whoops me. Yes. Um. Eight. Well, for me, I, I I've seen eighteen oh nine do it. I realize it's a bit arcane, but eighteen oh nine will do it. Uh, commands are on the Danube. Uh, War in the East will do it. I- I have not played the latest one, but I
2: have something similar, Decisive Campaign's Barbarossa, on my list, which I believe you played.
0: Does War in the East kick your ass because the AI is that good or because you just have way too many things to keep up with yourself <laughs> that you can't possibly click on them all before the AI cycles its next turn?
3: I saw this exact argument in somewhere online. Well, Garrick, Bruce Garrick, Dr. Bruce Garrick, I should say, Dr. Bruce Garrick, he made the comment that there's too much under the hood going on you know there's there, there there's too much secret stuff going on in WT for him to trust it completely so yeah. so i guess i don't judge all all i do know although decisive campaigns you're right all three of them have done a pretty good job of giving me a good good fight i would agree with that what else uh
2: what else i got here pike and shot if you've ever played the pike and oh, Shot sure. games yes yeah. the ai is, is uh can be uh rather good uh let's see here i love how
0: you throw an if out there with jim on the call
2: well that was for dr (laughs) Sterrett. uh unity of command games
3: god i hate those things they have a very very good ai um, do, you like the, do you like those slidey puzzles we used to get in Cracker Jack boxes as a kid? Same experience.
1: I, I, I act, for once, I agree with Jim. I think the Unity Command games are fundamentally puzzles, and the guys of the war
0: game. I, I thought you were going to go there about the Panzer General games. You
3: didn't go to Panzer General because I was I'm I'm queued up like a WWE wrestler on a top rope waiting for him to mention it. Well, I find them too simplistic for my taste, so I don't play them a lot. No, but... that they are they are class. I've said this is c- scenario design. By turn limit, <laughs> they are utterly un—they're unlo- unlosable, absent the turn <laughs> limits which just just blows me away how every, and I've said this, I stopped buying them. I finally broke my horrible habit that goes back to the first one and ran through multiple editions and multiple companies in the same basic structure, including the Warhammer ones, where I finally said, this will be the game that they come up with clever scenario designs that don't rely on limited turns to compensate for lousy AI. Nope, not this one either. (laughs)
2: Yeah, turn limits is just kind of a lazy way to make things more difficult for the player.
1: The modern Flashpoint games can give you a rough ride. Yeah, James, you threatened us with notes also. Like, we expect Brian
0: to show up with notes, but, but you surprised us by doing so as well.
1: <laughs> well, you just, I haven't told you that I have notes on sort of things to bring up before. Uh, the AI War games uh, also have AI that that outthinks the human in various ways. Uh, I cert—I can't even beat them at the levels that are intended for normal humans. So, you
2: know, Which I'm, games are we talking about?
1: AI War and AI War Two. Oh yeah. yes,
2: yes, yes. Okay. Yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, the we already brought up the. Uh... Galactic Civilization games that one of the things they were very proud of, and two, although I couldn't tell it was going on because I was only playing at the, the pathetic level, is that it would detect things like, you're building up near my border, therefore I'm going to prepare for attack me, as opposed to being unaware of these things. Uh, a, let's face it, a lot of the AI in these is often, well, not very good. One of the things that was on my list for what it's worth to bring up as a sort of counter example, one of the things we want is the AI to do things that look smart and the SWAT 3 and SWAT 4 games have your the people who are on your team, the enemies, do things that look smart, but this is, one of them came out 20 plus years ago, back when I was doing uh, games journalism stuff, and I talked to the people behind one of them and they said, yeah the way that that's done is, every single map, every single room, every single possible person who will be going into that room or defending it has pathing built in, so it's not AI, it's a huge amount of brute force human effort in that case. Uh, Steel Beasts will do a decent job of positioning your vehicles, your tanks, in places within 100 meters or so of the place you tell them to be so that they react to contact and more or less take cover, but it's not brilliant. A flip side of this, though, is AI on your side because one of the things that I know I find often plenty frustrating is is games which expect me to micromanage down to whatever level. They want me to be Napoleon and every corporal in Napoleon's army, and I I have personally no interest in doing that. If you're going to right. tell me I'm Napoleon, I don't want to have to micromanage the actions of my subordinates. That's what they're there for. Uh, yeah, there that's, are some games- that's what Jim has all those players on Saturday Night Fights. <laughs> yep. The uh, There's some real-time strategy games, a genre that I generally don't get on with well because of this, it, that my son adores and I periodically play them with him and it always drives me up the wall that you can win by micromanaging you know, this tank rolls forward out of the forest and then it rolls back and you win that little engagement that way and i'm sitting there saying you know i've got company of platoon commanders to do that <laughs> this is not my job <laughs> <laughs> uh, But I know that part of the problem that has been run into in doing the AI for the player is it's even more important that when the AI is supporting the player, the AI has to do things that look like what the player thinks the player told the AI to do. Uh, And that turns out to be a challenge. It's effectively, it's got a back preview.
0: Yeah. So, so you, th- this is whether you intended for it to, to be or not, th- this is a bit of a lead in back to the, uh, the, the Panther games AI, because one of the things like I've seen you use it at some of the origins events that we've had over the years. One of the things that, that we've seen out of the Panther AI is that you can give it broad mission guidelines as subordinates to you and then sort of get out of the way and let it do its thing and 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 for what it's worth i don't know of any system out there that is better at that yeah so so as you not that i'm asking you to try to get under the hood and and describe any of the programming piece because i don't think any of us have that level of expertise but as you're looking at the effects of what's coming out of the game as you're observing what you know the behavior you're seeing out there what are the behaviors you are seeing in those games that you don't see in other games where you might expect it to appear?
1: Uh, Part of the answer for me at any rate is the Panther AI will come up with solutions. I had not expected a, so a, a really good example of this. We were running a, a team, team on team game at a convention once using one of the Panther games. It was the command ops game set in the Aegean. And The British side was defending a river line, and the German side was trying to get across the river line. And the British, seeing that the attack was all coming over on the eastern half of the map, took their garrison away from a bridge that was over on the western part of the map. And the AI happened to have a scout unit that could see this. Uh, I mean, the Germans happened to have a scout unit that could sort of see this, though the players had not noticed it. So the players took a Panzer battalion and ordered it go from here to here, intending it to continue to go into the grinding slugfest they had going on the Eastern edge edge of the map. And before anybody had really figured out what was going on, it had raced off to the Western edge of the map and was crossing the river there. And the players in charge of it were saying, "Uh, cool, hadn't intended that, but that's awesome. And the players who were suddenly caught off guard by having it happen to them were trying to figure out how to react to it and having trouble. Uh, So it it sometimes sees opportunities that you don't or comes up with things that you don't. The, The Panther guys also have tried to make it transparent what it is that it's doing. So if you select the units involved in a task, they'll show you where they intend to move. If you select a specific unit involved in the task, it will tell you what it thinks its job in the current task is. You know, oh, I have yeah. a line unit, or a reserve, or a flank guard, or whatever it might be. And it's it's a step in the right direction, although it requires a lot of knowledge of the interface to be able to pull it out and make heads or tails of it. So it's kind of a barrier to entry there, unfortunately. I don't know if I wandered off your real question there. In the well,
0: end. so, so you know, you gave the example of, of kind of, you know, moving the garrison to where the threat is. Is that not something that you would have seen with a you know with a lesser AI being plugged into a comparable scenario,
1: most of the time I think people expect that when they give the AI the order, the AI does what they tell it to do, the way they told it to do. It's like the Steel Beast AI, right? I tell a tank platoon to take up a battle position at you know wherever, and look in this direction, engagement area over there, and I trust the AI to find a spot for each of the vehicles, or the or the infantry or whatever that can see the at least a reasonable portion of the engagement area and has decent cover in that direction. I don't expect it to say, there's an opportunity that I'm going to take that is 10 kilometers out of the way of the path you gave me, and I'm just going to race off and do it. That's pretty well outside the bounds of what most people expect the, the computer assistant, if you will, to come up with. Yeah.
2: Which leads us to uh, the AI acting in a human fashion, because a human usually isn't going to do things directly, you know, your' sport and aren't going to do things directly, you know, the way exactly that you're thinking they should do it. So and that's actually built in, I believe, is a a scourge of war uh, Mm. where you're able to, uh, you know, give division level commands and brigade level commands. And just my experience, half the time, they don't do even close to what the heck I want them to do. They arrive in the general area, but that's about it. So kind of like a built-in feature, almost, you know, where it, the AI
3: is almost acting human-like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but in in you know, I like Scourge of War basically at, at, at root. But if you get above the brigade level in the Napoleonic version, in any event, I, I don't. Th- I think that's a bug, not a feature. <laughs> you uh, might I, be right. I, I mean, at the at the divisional level, there are guys doing I know not what, and I've seen the programmers. <laughs> before the ugly split, I saw the programmers try to defend it and say, no, here's what it's doing. And I never bought it. I never did. I think at the brigade level, they deploy credibly and they set themselves up nicely. But it was something I think Brant said earlier. I I think it's a fascinating question. And I'd forgotten what James was talking about that, yes, it's one thing that I don't know as anybody else does, which the Command Ops does, which is say, when you click that unit, it says, here's how I perceive what I'm supposed to do. And there's not a lot of other games that allow you to see the game thinking. So you don't know if it's cheating, if it's screwing up, if it's stuck, if it's if whatever have you. But there's this desire to say, in an, let's say in a Napoleonic game, I want it to do what a Napoleonic general will do. But if you go all the way back to Dr. Sidron's AI, one of the things he's seen it do his ai is evaluate a threat that is at variance with its orders and respond to the threat that's that's what i think we want to see happen well
2: grand tactician uh you know the civil war opus uh At the tactical level, you can do that. You can give uh, orders to a division, and it will move, it will deploy, it will show you how it's going to do it. Does it do it well? No, but it does do that.
1: Here comes the 10th season of the Armchair Dragoons podcast, mentioned in dispatches. Let's thank all of our Patreon supporters who pledged at the top level. A huge thank you to Staggerwing, Patrick Geraghty, Fred and his dog, Mike Quigley, Joseph Knorr, Hethro Wargames, Robert, Patrick Mullen, Kevin Bertram, Chet Bell, and Chub Corey for their support of the Armchair Dragoons and helping us to bring you the best strategy gaming content on the web. You too can sign up as a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash armchair dragoons.
0: Earlier we had the the idea... And, and Brian, you tossed that out about have a big AI that lots of different games can kind of access and tap into and, and why not have some sort of AI that, that sets some broader parameters and then any kind of, you know, at, at that point, it doesn't matter what Napoleonic game you're plugging into it, it should still act in a reasonably competent fashion for a, a commander of that era. Um, you know, again, we, we wouldn't expect World War I tactics out of a Napoleonic general. Any more than we would expect World War II, you know, World War II tactics out of, you know, a, a medieval general. So so I think we would want period appropriate behavior as a part of this. Um, the the challenge you run into, and and this was asked, and I don't remember exactly what, you know, who threw it out there, but uh, to what, you know, ha, how do you get multiple games accessing that AI? And I think where that's going to come back to it is, who are the companies with the large stable of games that you would be using and AI consistently across a whole swath of games out there. And there's not many of them. And and look, in the war game world, there's only a half a dozen or so, you know, significant software, you know, digital game publishers, and they've all got multiple titles. There's, There's not a lot of one title shops floating around out there that where that's a primary line of business for those guys. So if it's, you know, Slytherin and Matrix plugging in some big AI that 12 different World War II war games can use. Okay. Maybe that's, that's where your solution comes in. That instead of just providing sort of art and development and, you know, QA resources, that they also provide an AI to whatever it is that you're, you're, you're programming. So you you build the game, you test it as a two-player sort of thing or, or a four-player, whatever the hell you want to do, I don't care, but you test it as a multiplayer thing, and then at some point they come along and plug an AI into it for you.
2: And this could yeah. even have spillover into the board game world. Yeah, is
0: there, is there a business model for that? I don't know. I, I don't know enough about the game software business to know whether or not the juice is worth the squeeze on that because that's a big investment in ai that now has to somehow get you know budgeted and build across a wide variety of games yeah the cost sharing can be good um but but is that enough of is it shared enough that all of those different development houses are willing to accept that and second. you know second you've got to make this thing really sophisticated to not have it just seem like the same ai with different clothes on from game to game to game and a sufficiently sophisticated ai may not end up feeling that way but as soon as the players start perceiving it that way whether it's true or not you've now got a significant marketing issue on your hands um and and that's going to be a challenge so i I think there's there's a couple of different issues there that, that 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 there's there's a none of those are insurmountable, but they all are going to require some extended, dedicated, real thought and analysis to come to a conclusion on. Certainly not gonna get solved by the four of us on some stray podcast. Um, but but that's the level of difficulty in the considerations that these business guys have to make when they're crunching numbers on on what's going to maximize their revenue for them you know and what's going to keep their players happy for them that's that's tough to do you know that's, it's not always the easiest thing i don't know where you go from there you know the the concept sounds great of let's have the big ai you know let, let's have skynet you know <laughs> the big ai in the sky that that plays against us on all these different games but is that necessarily what we want or do we we want AIs that that are distinctly different from game to game to game. You know, who knows? Jim, any thoughts?
3: Oh, I I, I just think that as since and, and this goes ultimately to a truth that I have to accept. I have to accept it. I don't like it, but I have to accept it. The vast I forget who told me this first. It might have been David Heath. It might have been Gene Billingsley. The vast majority of gamers are solo gamers, whether they're episodically get to play with a group or not, they're largely solo gamers. And so we're always thinking about AIs, be they cardboard or whether they be computer. And since that is true, AI is going to be with us. It's going to continue to evolve. It's going to continue to be part of the pattern. There is a, you know, and... The the only question is what's the margin for these very very small developers because I shudder to think how many you know how, how many games did Command Ops sell you know it's as you said it's it ain't Call of Duty numbers I promise you that yeah. and I suspect eighteen oh nine sold fewer than that the Tiller games they do the WDS games they do well they do well but they're in their niche and and I I will tell you I don't think I'm telling secrets um. Just having had a conversation with David Freer and some of those guys, they are taking another dive into the AI. But, and this goes to, I think, something James said very early in the early in the podcast, it's old code. Yeah. The AI is old. And going back in there is a great idea. Let's do it. <laughs> it's Fibber McGee's freaking closet. <laughs> Kids, look it up. It's on Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs>
0: How just many a, kids do you think are actually listening to this podcast? Good, good point.
2: <laughs> we're all good. I love Fibber McGee and Molly, by the way, uh, and the great Gildersleeve. But besides that, ju- just in case you were wondering, on Steam, Command Ops 2 has sold 9,185 units Jesus. total. Good
0: that's just steam
3: yeah yeah but i mean and bless them i'm and and everyone would deserve deserved sale but that that's insanely low and there's six active players right now
0: uh jim you're right that that does feel low what's what's a comparable tabletop game to one of the command ops ones something in the bcs or ocs yeah i'd say it's names? it's ocs isn't it yeah so find me the OCS game that sold 9,000 copies.
3: Yeah, but the development cost of a, of a command ops is dramatically, or the development no, effort of a command ops is dramatically higher than an OCS.
1: Yes, but keep in uh, mind I'm not that so sure that's strictly true. Oh, well, okay. Defend. Because Panther's small, and so I don't think Panther has ever exceeded five people. I could be wrong. Uh, Dave O'Connor will come up from Australia and correct me or something, in which case I'll uh, serve him dinner. Throw a Pop-Tart uh,
0: at him. He'll back <laughs> off.
1: <laughs> Man, he's never going to lift that down from ten years ago. The, uh, the the backstory on that, for those who don't know, is that he and Brandt and I were all at a convention at one point, and he'd had a disaster of a time trying to get to the convention because of craziness in the air travel system. He was immensely hungry, and Brandt offered him pop tarts to eat, <laughs> so that he had something to eat. And he told us that they were not actually food. <laughs> that, that was, was all running. we had,
0: right? That was the I whole, know it's... we had in the room at the time. <laughs> were some pop tarts in the fridge, and uh, yeah, um, and and James, not to make you feel any older, it was closer to fifteen years at this point. Don't, let's not think about it. <laughs> yeah. it was... Anyhow, Panther games, five people.
1: Yeah, so Panther, I don't think has ever exceeded five people on payroll. And the... OCS and BCS games, you've got Dean Essig at the helm of designing them. And then you've got a lot of people whose, whose design and testing effort is fundamentally unpaid. And I'm not saying that this is some kind of unethical business model. They know exactly what they're getting into. They're you know, testing as volunteers. I've been one of them many years ago now uh, and perfectly happy to have done it. But I suspect that if you add up the man hours aimed at them, it's not as dissimilar as you might think. I, I think a couple of things are, are probably also
0: related to this one. OCS gets a whole lot of its testing done by volunteers. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I don't know how much of that is true of the digital games, but, but a lot of that play testing for OCS is, are, you know, is done by volunteers. The, the actual lead time from, from, you know, flash to bang for, for when somebody starts an OCS game to when it finally rolls off the presses is, is probably comparably long to software development stuff. Again, I I saw beyond the Rhine getting play tested on highlighter maps, um, you know, five years, six years before it ever actually rolled off the printing press. Um, But the other, the other thing that definitely applies to Panther games, and this is probably true of a couple of different digital houses that is not true at all of anything MMP does, is that there are some there are some other customers across which they're able to spread development dollars, because especially in the digital wargaming space, a bunch of those guys, Tiller for a while, Dave O'Connor currently, have some government contracts that will help subsidize the development of things like those AIs that they can then turn around and apply towards commercial products. Not something that that MMP gets to take advantage of in their board game business. Who does Panther
1: uh, have a development contract with? I, that's good news. I'm glad to hear it. I, I,
0: I thought wonder. they had one with the Australian Army for a
1: while. Uh, they had one at one point, but I I do not know that they have one now. Which doesn't mean yeah. they don't. It's just my ignorance speaking.
0: And and even if they don't now, they did for a long time to help with the development of of that AI and and whatever else they were doing. You know that there was going to be some spillover effect that they were going to be able to take advantage of for commercialization purposes. They're not the only ones that have been able to do that over the years, right? Tiller had how many Air Force contracts for how many years that, you know, was able to, to help subsidize the development of some of the the commercial digital products um and we we've seen that over the years with a variety of different digital products um you know the guys that did tac ops for a long time they there was a contract with the with the armor school that you know the the cab edition of tac ops that they sold to the guys
1: <laughs> there, then at there, Fort Knox. there was a single sale
0: <laughs> well but but they were able to take advantage of some of that funding to do other things you know, yeah. So, yeah. so, but but those contracts do exist, and that's that's a revenue stream and and a development fork that the tabletop guys don't have access to. But even so, even if you added up every OCS game out there, are you going to get to nine thousand units? You know, on all the sales of all the OCS games, maybe you might get
1: to nine thousand.
0: I'm sure Gary will yell at us one way or the other about
1: yeah. This. So if we assume, let's do a Fermi estimation on this, right? The How many titles are there in the OCS series now? Because I don't know. Call it 20. It's plus or minus a few. 20, you think? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. See all 20 at BoardGameGeek. So assume there's 20. Let's make a minimum assumption that just like uh, GMT... The minimum print run is 500. I believe that it is bigger, not for any particular reason other than at some point, you're going to want to print a few more to make sure that you've, you've had more, uh, get more sales out of it. But even if we assume that there are 20 and there's 500 each, then 20 by 500 is around 10,000. Yeah. So potentially more OCS titles total. Than well,
0: but, but that 9,000 number on it is just what's on Steam. And that's- oh, I realize. The... But, and, but, that's but also you challenge us game. to figure
1: out whether or not there were at least 9,000 OCS games sold ever, and Fermi estimate is the answer is yes.
3: Yes, and, and the reason any of this is relevant, other than the fact that I really do find it interesting, is that... <laughs> (laughs) Is that it goes to the resources that are available for the the command ops for Panther Games of this world to develop their AI? I think it's a wonder that they do what they do. I was just, you know, my son's obsession is Elden Ring, and that sucker has sold twenty million copies. You know, so yeah, I I, and and they have AI. They have AI coming out in buckets, and it's impressive, and it's it's kind of scary good, but. When you're selling some 20 million somethings for 60 bucks a crack, the math isn't hard to figure out. Yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's, that's also an extremely hit-driven business. So.
3: Yeah, well, I, I will say my favorite AI story of all time, bar none, and it, it, I've tried to find 100% verification from somebody at Bethesda in this, so because I want it to be canonical truth. But I still, it, you know, this is almost the man who shot Liberty Valance. I want it to be true. This goes back to the game before Skyrim. It was the game immediately before, which I think that's... Morrowind. That is Morrowind. Yep. No, there,
1: uh, Oblivion was before. Oblivion. That's it. Yeah, the Oblivion
3: Gates. There was a character. Well, what happened was they were they were looking over the QA logs and they discovered that one of the towns, there was no armor for any of the PCs to buy. And looking through the logs, they determined that one guy who was a quest giver, he was, his AI said that he was scared and that he was always going to run away. He was always going to be afraid. He was so afraid, for some reason, the AI became convinced he needed to buy armor so he bought and stole every piece of armor within his walking radius and he stored it at his house. And I said that when I see that on a consistent basis in my games, I will a be terrified and b realize We've finally taken that next step into, you know, this world that we've kind of been wandering through since we first started since Hal first refused to open the pod Bay door.
1: <laughs> and sadly, because they couldn't manage to get the radiant AI that they were building for Oblivion to work well enough, they had to nerf it.
3: Well, they they what this 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 the accounts that I have read said with that AI, um, which they you're right, they couldn't get to work right. They actually stored. They saved that setup, that instance, because they wanted to see what else he would do.
1: <laughs> One of the things I just remember is that there are a lot of, of demos and interviews and whatnot just before Oblivion came out, for a while before it came out, talking about the amazing things that the AI would sort of do unprompted, uh, firefights and whatnot breaking out between AIs and things. And then the game came out and none of that was present. <laughs> And yeah. the AIs were doing the usual stupid stuff that AIs do.
3: Walking into and walls.
1: Word eventually. Well, they mostly avoided walking into walls, but it turned out that they couldn't keep it controlled enough to avoid chaos breaking out, so they had to nerf it. <laughs> ah all right so we're uh, we're a
0: little over 90 minutes into this as we're recording um probably shorten it up a little bit as we go with some editing but uh, and we actually reached a conclusion on literally any facet of the AI discussion other than man it'd be nice if they were better
3: nope <laughs> <laughs> absolutely 100 percent not yeah. Wow. I'm, so, I'm I'm I got something in which I'm fascinated, and I hope others are. It didn't come from me.
0: <laughs> so, which, which, which point are you now going to obsess over and endlessly research?
3: Oh, James, I, I this is I, I may well judge every AI. I don't run into AI much these days anymore. I don't really have a tolerance for games I can't play with other people. But whenever I am playing them, that's how I'm going to judge them. I said, "Are you trying to give me an honest to goodness fight, or am I?" To borrow James's. <laughs> Well chosen phrase am I shadow
0: boxing yeah
1: James thoughts yeah, the last thing that bubbled up in my head is as we were talking about AI that was adapting to the player <clears throat> is that a good example of AI that really did adapt to the player well in order to give the player a good experience is the, I think they called it the game director or the sort of movie director for Left 4 Dead, which was built in order to give you a varied experience as the zombies charged at you in whatever patterns the zombies would crop up, keep you on your toes, keep you moving, not challenge you too much, punish you if you did dumb things like splitting the party. Uh, And that probably deserves more recognition for having been good player-adaptive, player-focused AI. Mm. Okay, Brian, you started
0: this. This is all your fault.
2: <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. It's kind of scary times that we're living in uh, with the advances that AI is making overall and just seeing what's going on. Uh, question is, or you know, 10 years from now, are we still going to be around <laughs> to use, to be able to use the AI in these games? Yeah, things are happening at a very rapid pace, not only in gaming, but just throughout the world. And uh, it's kind of scary.
0: So uh, how many of us are going to rush off to chat GPT and say, write me a competent Napoleonic AI for a war game?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think you'd need to put in a great deal more specification to be able to make it do that. Well,
2: You know, Brant, in the uh, review that I did, yet to be published, I just for shits and giggles went and uh you know tried to have uh Chat GPT write it for me just to see what would come out but the uh problem was uh the game didn't come out till after 2021 and uh the uh database for Chat GPT ends in 2021 so <laughs> it, it did a very very bad job even worse than mine
0: yeah the uh and 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 for the audience to know cuz I don't you know it, it may be out by the time we we post this episode of the podcast um the issue is not that i'm blowing you off the issue is that i've been buried under a bunch of other stuff trying to get done for the site um leading up to this point that now i have some breathing room i can actually go back to editing articles so so you have feedback coming back to you shortly
2: oh take your time it's it's not that great
0: (laughs) so uh audience we appreciate you listening to this this extended bar side ramble as uh it, 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 you know, we've always said that the ethos of our podcast here is sort of a bunch of war gamers having a chat and somebody hit record. And and that's kind of what you got tonight. So I, I don't know that we necessarily arrived at any firm conclusions on AI, but I don't know that that's really at all what we set out to do. It was just sort of exploring the space because this isn't a topic that we've ever really tackled before. So Brian, I hope we at least genuflected in the general direction of what you were thinking when you threw this out as a, as, as a podcast topic. Yeah.
2: The alternate viewpoints definitely give you something to think about.
0: Yeah. So, you know, audience, definitely chime in, whether in the in the comments below in the article here or over in our forums. Um, you know, let us know what you think. What what are some good AIs that you've seen? What are some crappy AIs that you've seen? What are some improvements that that you would like to see and, and what those might do for you for your, your gaming enjoyment? Um, you know, what are some games that could benefit from them or not? And and then down the line later in this season. We are going to come back around and we're going to talk about the, the idea of AI in board games and Jim, don't worry. We're not going to bother. We're not going to bring you back for that one. We're not going to have <laughs> you show up and just harumph your way through. <laughs> we, we will spare you that indignity. Um, but, but we are going to take a look at the idea of AI in, in, uh, in tabletop games and sort of how that's evolved a bit over the years. Um, and we, where uh, at, that kind of uh,
3: goes. You realize we're gonna get called the loneliest hobby. You understand
0: that. I you know, dude, I've met some of us. Some of them deserve to be lonely. <laughs> <laughs> There's a few of them I would like to make lonelier than they are because they keep on top of the mood. <laughs> I wish they would go be lonelier. So <laughs> On that note, audience, don't be lonely. Listen to the podcast. We love you. And we'll don't talk to next time on another episode of Mentioned in Dispatches.